0: Hello again everyone and welcome to the Hundys Matter podcast from the American Downhillers presented by SkiRacing.com. This is where we break down the World Cup downhills, share our thoughts, stories from the venues, and make our predictions for the upcoming racers. I'm Doug Lewis, winner of the first ever World Championship medal in speed for an American back in 1985 and joining me are the American downhiller legends. AJ Kitt, four-time Olympian, frequent MBC analyst, and the first ever male to win prize money in an FIS ski race. I want to hear more about that, maybe in another issue. Darren Rolfs, two-time winner of Kitzbühel, fastest skier ever from the top to the bottom at Birds of Prey course. We're going to hear about that. And finally, Marco Sullivan, winner of the Chamonix downhill over a guy named Didier, Didier Couch, who and the American who holds the record for the most downhill starts as an American with 105 starts. All right, Darren. Before we start, I kind of borrowed the the Hundies Matter from you. You came up with it. Explain what Hundies Matters means. Well, you know, it's we're racing against the clock, so every hundredth
1: of a second counts, and um, that's kind of. Uh, I was talking to Phil Shedig about it and with Spider back in the day, trying to work on. New suits and in the wind tunnel and like, you know, every hundy matters. So we kind of had that like printed on the inside of the zipper of the suit. It was pretty cool for a couple of years. And, yeah, you know, a little reminder of uh, what's at stake right there, you know? So if you're going down the road, put your arm out the window, even if you like feel your hand kind of like twist, turn, you can feel the drag. I mean, those little things make a big difference. So we're always trying to cut down, cut down
0: time and hundies do matter. I was... Uh, <laughs> I never won a World Cup, but I was second by four hundies. Hundies matter. Marco or AJ? Me how those close? That day. <laughs> uh, AJ and Marco. How close have you ever been off the podium, a bit off the top step?
2: Well, when I got second in Kids Duel, I was like 18 hundies from getting my my own gondola, which would have been pretty awesome to have two American. Well, it was more than more than two American gondolas with Phil, but
0: I wanted to have a gondola before Darren. Well. <laughs> All right, let's go up to Lake Louise before we hit birds of prey want to give a report from Lake Louise they were able to get in only one race the downhill on Saturday. I saw it I did notice a little bit more terrain Sully but Sully you were up there break down the race for us how the Americans do as well.
3: It was definitely a tough weekend with the weather, like you said you know only one race out of three. It was kind of pretty much snowing the entire time we were there the one sunny day was the downhill race day. And even then the uh, kind of cloud cover rolled in. It was nice and sunny cloud, probably 10 minutes before the start clouds came in and made it flat light. I really kind of took like, felt like it took the wind out of, out of the sails of some of the American boys. Um, not, not to be said that it wasn't a fair race, but they just, they went from a nice day to kind of spit in snow. And I think a lot of the guys did not have the performance that they were looking for. We had RCS did get a top 10 in 10th place in his uh, first race back after injury last year, which I thought was huge. He was actually on track for an even better result, and something near the bottom, he kind of lost a few few hundies, <laughs> more than a few hundies, lost about half a second on that last two splits, uh, which was a bummer. But the rest of the boys, I think, definitely left something to be desired, and they'll be hunting for it in Beaver Creek. Um, yeah, you know, the Austrians, like Doug predicted last week, really stepped up. Matthias Meyer was on fire. I mean, he was actually watching him in the training runs. He was kind of sandbagging um, the, in some of the most important parts of the course, not at the finish where you'd expect it, but he was kind of standing up through the tough parts like fishnet, sea turn. Like he just had it dialed and then it came race day. He had a little bit later start position um, because the earlier numbers did really well and he came down and just smoked everybody. So that was impressive. But uh, for the American boys, I think they're trying to push that to the back of their minds, move on to new week at home in Beaver Creek.
0: Yeah, Darren and AJ, what what was your experience of maybe not starting out the season with a great result? What do you do mentally to, to move on to the next race?
1: Darren, take it. Oops, can't hear you, Darren. Sorry, I was on mute there um you know to like rebound it's just uh it's just a mental switch you know you just gotta like deal with it like recognize your mistakes and move on and um to me it was easy to move on from Lake Louise just because the excitement and coming to to home turf you know it was a big uh big deal coming to Beaver Creek for me every year and uh I think I just made the you know the switch mentally to really really book next day focus and I did reach out to RCS. I just want to, you know, throw something out there from his run because I was impressed. Like Marco said, he was really going, I think he was like fourth, uh, midway, you know, uh, with the splits. And then he said, uh, he didn't LC turn. He was a little late getting into the fall line through gun barrel. And, uh, so that kind of cost him a little bit in that section. He said he wasn't arrow enough on the flats and then pinched a turn on Claire's that further hurt him, you know? So he's, you know, you got to execute top to bottom. Um, but obviously i mean he knows his mistakes he can clean those things up and the bottom line is he's happy with the skiing right now and so you just move on with that. you take that you know like you're happy with where you're at and you make the adjustments um tactically you just gotta be on aj you
2: well, you're right. I mean, it's about momentum and starting off the season with a good race really helps the confidence. Um, yeah. And if you don't, you know, you just have to find a way to switch it. And, uh, um, you know, the, the sport of ski racing is about persistence. It's about, you know, repetition and persistence. And it's going to be like that all season long. You know, the the season's got peaks and valleys and, and we're always dealing with, um you know having a a race that wasn't our best so you you know having that mental fortitude you know to be able to to bounce back from a week that wasn't quite what you expected is is super important in
0: the sport you know in general yeah I tell the kids take two good things that you did because everyone did something well no matter what you did even if you crash and then just something you want to work on Darren you have a little inside scoop how does the entire white circus of downhillers move from Lake Louise to Beaver Creek
1: Well, not in our days, but uh, the last three years, the fist has been chartering a jet. And so two staff members from each team get to go on that jet and fly directly from Calgary to Vale, And so that's a huge bonus for those guys. Um, makes traveling a lot easier. You know, the other like the other like, you know, techs and all that stuff. I mean, throw all the gear on a big truck and it's trucked down to Beaver Creek, like all the entire World Cup equipment and, you know, the wax room uh, gear and the skis. So, I mean, that's, that was a bonus, but, um, you know, with that like COVID scare up there in Lake Louise, I think there's reasons for a lot of precautions. They got in the Vale uh, Valley Medical, um, set up a huge parking lot for COVID testing for the entire World Cup tour. And I guess uh, I was talking to Travis earlier and he was saying from 11am to 7pm, those guys were just like hanging out, you know, waiting to get tests and just run through the whole, all the teams. It was a mess, but. They got a day off today
0: and, and, um, you know, getting ready for for getting on snow tomorrow. And uh, talk us a little bit about COVID and uh, your experience, Sully, getting out of Canada.
3: Yeah, the COVID thing is a real issue now. You know, it adds another component. And there was some false positives when they tested up trying to leave Lake Louise. Um, Ultimately, I think there was some positive tests and some false positives that caused racers to get retested the night before the super g like these guys were woken up in the middle of the night saying we got to confirm what's going on with your COVID test and um ultimately i don't think any racers tested positive but there was a us team staff member who's still in lake louise because of a positive COVID test and that's a huge impact with you know four races coming up in beaver creek Um, if one of the athletes were to miss a series like that it's super detrimental to the whole season
0: Yeah, it's affecting everyone. I mean, there's a couple Austrians who didn't even take the, uh, oh, there's the plane, and they got their masks on. There's a couple Austrians who refused to get the vaccination. They couldn't even fly to Canada. They're missing the entire North American series. So it is something to keep our eyes on, and uh, it is not going away anytime soon. So Lake Louise. I called two out of the three, so I win 1,000 points. You guys all get minus 1,000 points. I don't know what that means. All right. Let's move on on to Birds of Prey. Um, This course drops 2,500 feet in 1.7 miles with an average speed over 60 miles an hour. Marco, Darren, you've run it a million times. AJ, you ran it the inaugural year in 1997. I've covered it a million times. But let's first break down the course before we get to everyone's experience. Let's talk about this course, what you need to do at each section. It starts out flat. Sully, tell us how to to just rule the flats up top.
3: In the flats at Beaver Creek, are they're unique because they are like flat and you're going pretty slow. Yeah, usually in downhill, when you come across a flat section, you've got speed from a prior area and you're like high, high speed gliding, trying to keep those edges at a low angle. But when you push out of the start at Beaver Creek, I just remember just going slow and you, you can feel everything. And it's almost, I'm not sure that gliding is really in play it's really a wax race up there for when the tech can nails the wax or gets the skis really fast that's where you see guys pulling time because everyone can or most guys can sit in in their tuck and and ride a flat ski when you're just basically going straight so the top flat for me was always not you were trying to stay aerodynamic and on your flat ski but pretty much everyone can do that so mostly a wax race and really thinking about what was coming up, going over the brink,
0: where you really drop into it. All right. So, Mello, there is some terrain up there. We talked last week, AJ did, about how you have to work it. You're for sure working it up there. You come across, and it goes from classical music to rock and roll, just the, the talent and onto Pete's arena. Darren, you take it from there, because that's where you, I'm, you must have just loved it. Yeah, I had one thing too on the flats.
1: For me, like I did not I wanted to get as close as I could to those those gates, but I didn't want to touch them. I didn't want anything slowing me down up there. So that was like another thing I was like focused on get just like skimming the gates without touching them. I didn't want to have any extra resistance, you know, slowing down up there. But like you said, uh, you're trying to be relaxed, you're looking ahead, trying to like really kind of like the skis go and swim like you are talking about before, really subtle on the on the bases. And then you gotta flip the switch and get that into that right footer, drop into the brink, and just it's blind. You have to like really attack and move forward. And uh, you're still trying to build speed up, but it comes up quick right there. And to me, I think one of the most important sections was uh, off the top, um, that big, long right footer, and then the left-right combo going into the, the uh, turn, into the fence, into the followway there. And that kind of set the tempo for what was coming like the, almost the rest of the course. It was fast. Uh, quick edge changes, trying to be super clean, like really powerful at the top of turn, really clean arc, and just just find that flow and that tempo where you're just matching, you know, uh, the terrain as, as much as possible. And there's, uh, I mean, aerodynamics aren't in play up there. You're just, it's more about how clean you can ski. And you get in a talent turn below the Super G start. And that was really critical there because that was a big fall away. So switching from that right to left foot was, was, uh, was for me like i want to get as early established as possible so i can just take the speed and you know, hold it nice and clean and then it gets pretty fun like there's some big rollers some compressions um you're you're mo- you're going to this one turn in pizzerina where you're pushing down in there to accelerate trying to like generate speed but then you're sucking your skis up to like float them over the top of this like basketball turn and just like stay you know within snow contact to like get you know keep the skis clean and um there's just a lot of action. Like I always love that that section there. And then it gets back into some bigger, high-speeding, gliding turns uh, below Pete's and through the islands there.
0: Yeah, so getting through there, again, a lot of terrain, but this jump for sure has five, at least five huge jumps. You're leaving the air a lot, but five huge jumps. AJ, take airtime. Maybe has it changed since when we ran to these guys? But airtime on this course is critical because number one, you could lose your race, but you could blow out your knee very easily. Talk about airtime and how you approach it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, like you guys are saying, it's that course from The brink to the finish has got more action from, you know, just back to back to back than maybe any course in the world. And if there was another 20 seconds of length on that course, it would, it would be considered one of the best courses in the world for sure. The jumps are rhythm. I mean, there's, there's not really a jump up there that, that doesn't come in the rhythm of either the end of a turn or when you land, you've got to go right into a turn. So having the rhythm work and the timing is super critical. And that rhythm and timing can change depending on the line you choose for your turn. If you have a little bobble in the middle of the turn and suddenly you're offline at the at the launch or whatever. Um, so rhythm, I think, is really, really important. You've got to be comfortable in the air. You've got to be comfortable with long flights. I mean, red tail is huge. You drop into a deep hole and then you come up out of it. You're in the air again. Golden you're on your left ski. Yeah, golden eagle. Sorry. Uh, you know, and then it's it's like. I mean, it, 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 rivals Vang or uh, Val Gardena a little bit with all the airtime and all the terrain movements that you've got to absorb. And, um, you know, it's a, a lot of timing is, is, is really, really critical. And, uh, I just loved it. I mean, you know, it's almost like it lulls you to sleep on the top and the f- top flats. And then, like you said, it's like all of a sudden the, the, the switch goes and then you've got to be ready to be fully game on from there to the finish line. And, uh, it's awesome. I it was so much fun of a course to run for me.
0: Uh, and this thrown is out to you guys. Usually, you want to get on the ground as quick as possible, right? So you have that control back. Is this airtime on this jump okay to to let it fly? At, at parts, I think
3: uh, for the golden eagle jump, you it's what it's a really flat takeoff and a it's a sharp. Um, You know, a sharp uh, angle that drops away there. So it's one of those where you, depending on the speed you're carrying into the jump, there you don't really have a choice of how much airtime you're going to get. And certain years, that lip is is bigger and steeper than others. But uh, I think you can, you want to give it a little press and stay in a good position, but it's really your distance is dictated by how much speed you're taking in.
2: Yeah, I always say don't fight it. I mean, you take it as it comes um, and, and just make it part of the rhythm and the timing of your run.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah I know, Go ahead, Darren. I was saying, like, like Marco was saying, you just got to, AJ, <clears> off <throat> Golden Eagle, you just, you have what you got, you know, as far as you got to make a good press. There's no, I mean, chance you might try and do a pre-jump on that. That's just like too risky. Um, the next one, um, is it Harrier? Harrier. Left footer. I like that one because you're on edge coming into it and you can kind of almost scrub it. You know, you're on edge and, and, and um, you can pull your skis up to the side right before the, like the roller and like you're shooting out to the left. To me, that was always the fastest line going to the left. I didn't want to set up. I wanted to get as much gravity as I could fall line going into that. And then finish the turn after the landing. And then uh, actually red tail last jump. I would try and do like a little bit of a pre-jump on that one. And uh, that seemed to kind of work out a little better there, but I was always going big on the jumps. And, and uh, you know, the, the more you're on the ground, the faster you go, but it's just, uh, you just take
0: what you got. All right, let's bring it back to you, Darren. 2003, the fastest ever uh, run from the, the official start to the official finish, a hundred seconds covering a mile, 1.7, uh, amazing. What was it about that day, that run, the skis? Take us through that experience because you are the fastest well you know back then you ski team
1: maybe a few other athletes had a chance but uh we go up there on flyway and i really need the, the practice on testing we did some glide testing up there we like uh, beaver creek helped us out a ton and we do some like laps with uh, the snowbills and and so we had a chance this is like maybe two weeks before the race to to get on the hill and um, willie wilts is my ski tech and like Marco said, it's, it's a lot of wax tech in that, uh, section. And he had my skis flying. That was a big part, like for me to stay in the hunt at the top. And then like, I just had that, like, just everything was linking up. So nice. It was like one to the next, um, it was a perfect day. Like, you know, cold temps, sunny snow is hard and fast. So you the know, conditions definitely helped, but like airs are big. I mean, the jumps are big back then. I think, I mean, now you look at them, they're smaller. And, uh, so I think that was an, a disadvantage for us then too, is having that much airtime, but, uh, just, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, things are just going. I mean, they've been close. Like Bodie was like, I think three tenths, you know, um, on that day behind me or maybe the next year, year, but it was, it was kind of like, I didn't like blow the time out of water, but it's still been a tough one to match One thirty nine fifty nine. So, <laughs> It'd be cool to hold
0: on to that, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens this, this year. Darren brought up the fact that Bodie was right there. I want to go through each one of you. What is being on a downhill team, being on the American downhillers, how do your teammates help you, whether it's inspection, a report? What do you pick one aspect of what your teammates can do uh, to help the team and specifically you ski fast that day? Marco?
3: I think uh, talking about the aspect on race day or on the training days leading up to the race, you know how your teammates ski and how the strengths and weaknesses they have. So you can kind of bounce off certain sections of the course, uh, bounce them off your teammate to, you know, someone who's great at the, the jumping or the gliding or the, the technical parts. We can, you can talk it through. They can give you ideas. You can give them ideas and end up helping each other that way and we all know on the race day you're there by yourself in the start gate, but you can gain some confidence for sure if you've got guys who are actually running the track with you, you're in each other's ear for a few days, and just talking about the nuances of the course, and to have that closeness with a few teammates is for sure gives you confidence in yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's like you said, it's a, it's a team sport at that point, um, and and, you know, you're always comparing yourself to your teammates, you're training together in the off season and, and, you know, so you kind of have a a gauge of of where you should be at. And, you know, some, some teammates uh, you know, you know, can, can run a bit of a tighter line than than you know that you can. So you, you gauge, you know, their, their line and their, their uh, execution off of, off of some of that stuff. And, but I think the most important thing is that course report on race day, you know, if you got a guy that's in the finish line, he gives you that report and he says, Hey, it's just, the, the flight's a little bit further off of, off a of golden Eagle, or uh, you, you know, the speeds a little bit higher, the speeds a little bit lower, or, Hey, there's this bump in the middle of such and such turn. I mean, you, this is where you start to really fine tune your run, but I mean, too much information on race day can def- definitely be detrimental. Um, I just wanted little, little tidbits down the course and, uh, and just a good, good, quick perspective from the finish line was the biggest help.
1: Yeah, we would uh we would feed off each other in training runs, really analyze the the lines like, okay, you try this, I'll try that, you know, back and forth, like try and get the most out of like our limited amount of of skiing down this track to see what we can pull off. But there's also like thinking back to like what AJ said about Lake Louise in race day, we did hold back on some like some sections, you know, not like we know this works, let's not show this on training. I mean, uh, it's just, you're given, you know, giving up something that you could might you could have on your side a little bit, so we work together as a team as far as uh, analyzing the track, the lines, working on equipment with skis, like maybe what bases are running the best. We try a lot of different things on the train runs and and just try and like uh, come up with the best like equipment package and and tactical package for the race, and then you get some feedback uh, from the those guys, especially in Beaver Creek. You got all these forerunners. These like, you know, up and coming kids that can give reports back to the even the early guys, like if we have an American that starts first or second, they can get like a report back from the uh, the forerunners even and get a little like, you know, feedback or, you know, we trust our coaches, we have that have, we have trust in our coaches, like if there's a hole developing the errors are big more speed, but they relay back to us, you know, we can we can really
0: like soak up and, and use to uh, our advantage. Yeah. Back with AJ and I, AJ, you can probably differ than me, but you know, we hung out with the Canadians. They spoke English. We hung out with Martin Bell from Great Britain. That was our training partners. I am so blown away. Maybe Marco and and Darren, you can talk about this. I think you guys are still with the Norwegians, but how does that work when you're sharing so much? The Norwegian racers are coming up to the American coaches. You're going up to the Norwegian coaches. Is it totally open or is there some nationality hold back there? Like, is it a fine line? Talk about that relationship. I think it is totally open. I mean, being in Lake
3: Louise last week, the, when you inspect the course, the coaches are spaced out in, set in their own section and the, every American athlete stops at the American coach and a Norwegian coach and Norwegians are the same. They're stopping at the American coaches. The video room, they're in the same room, the same workout room. They're you know, block of Norwegian uh, computers here, block of American computers here. They're sharing video. They're, they're all the exercise bikes together. I mean, they're essentially traveling as a unit. And uh, that's maybe unique to Lake Louise because everyone is in the same hotel. I don't know if that'll, but they're, they're I mean, it's a huge advantage both ways, I think. Maybe more so for our guys right now, being able to be there with Kilda, um, you know, defending overall, well, not defending overall champ, but past overall champ. Um, And I don't know, it's pretty cool to just have that double feedback and
0: two great nations together. So I'm, I'm so jealous that it wasn't like that with us. Darren, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it was a big bonus for us. I mean, we I mean, obviously Norwegians speak great English, so it helped us out quite a bit to get course reports. And uh, one of our American, you know, coaches is now coach over at the Norwegian team last few years, huh, Marco? Pete?
3: Yeah, Pete
0: Anderson is now coaching the Norwegians. That's really cool. Really cool. AJ, did we, did you have a, a team that you worked with at, the, at that point during your career? Actually
2: the, the partnership with the Norwegians started at, at the middle of my career. So at least and Jan Torsen uh, were kind of the premier guys in the downhill team for the Norwegians back then. And We actually traveled together in the summer and went to training camps in the summer for a couple of years. So that whole, that whole arrangement began back then and, it, and it's continued, which I, I'm really impressed that it's still going because I don't know what it is culturally, but we get along really well with those guys. And and I agree there, there never was any sort of dividing line, um, you know, on a, on a, you know, nationality type of thing and competitive. We, we shared everything. Um, we we, were, we had meals together in the hotel in the summertime and, you know, it was that close. So uh, it was a really uh, advantageous relationship for, for both sides. Um, this was le- actually leading into the, um, the 94 games in, in Lilyhammer that we started this, this partnership with them. So I think we benefited. I mean, Tommy won the, the gold medal that year and um, the other Norwegian guys had, uh, had a, a, some good success as well. So um, yeah, I'm glad to see that it's still going. You mentioned the Canadians and sure they, they were, you know, they spoke English and, and, you know, we probably raced with a lot of those guys growing up, but there, it wasn't as open with those guys. I mean, I felt more uh sort of you know national protection with the Canadian relationship both with the athletes and the coaches than I than I ever did with Norwegians.
0: Interesting. I'll take a step back too, Lou,
1: real quick on uh I mean it trickled down to even Europa Cup. So before I made was on full World Cup uh schedule, I was traveling around with a couple of Norwegians. I was the only guy kind of doing the Super G GS program. It's either like I mean back then it was tech team or speed team. And I was floating between both, and I didn't have a, a any other teammates to you know cruise around with or staff. So it was basically I was in the same vehicle with two other Norwegians, and uh, it was all set up by our coaches. But we'd be traveling together and um, going to the, these Europa Cups together, and then meeting up with our respective you know teams over we there. But but uh, it 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 was like kind of just the way it's always been, you know, I guess. Um, it's always come together that way, you know, from early, early on into the World Cup.
0: Yeah. And I and I urge, you know, ski clubs and the different states, Vera and Nara. Um, it is so important f- for us to start working together as U16s, as U14s training, go to your place, go to our place, sharing that, because the ultimate goal is to be strong on World Cup. You don't have to win. When it's not as important to be, to win as you as a youngster. So let's all work together through all the clubs. Um, this is for U14, U16, U18s. One, each of you talk about Beaver Creek. There's so much going on from Talon down. You're not going to have the perfect run. You'll skid out, you'll make a mistake, you'll get low. How did each of you? take that mistake and somehow file it, put it behind you and not have it grind on you and ruin your whole run. Can anybody want to take that?
2: Right, I'll jump in and I'll come in with an example. If, if anybody here watched the women's slalom in Killington uh, second run, Michaela made a mistake like eighth or 10th gate. It wasn't a big mistake, but it was enough to keep her from winning that that race if Petra had a perfect run, which she didn't obviously. But what I saw Michaela's reaction was she buckled down and the scheme that we saw from her in the first run where she was a little bit uh, conservative and a little bit hesitant, that went away immediately with that mistake and she fired to the finish line and had an amazing run. Um, I think with that she she was going to be really hard to beat unless Petra had a perfect run. Um, so if, you know for me I, if I had a mistake, I always tried to minimize the effects of it and I absolutely, got laser focused after that. And and I don't I wouldn't say I pushed any harder, but you know, usually those those little mistakes kind of woke me up and reminded me that, that focus is super important. And you know, I would start to really focus a little bit more ahead. Um, but yeah minimizing the effects of those mistakes is the most important thing.
3: I I can say from my own experience at Beaver Creek, my first my best result ever there was sixth place, my first time and it was because I didn't know the track that well. And I was just skiing it like I was free skiing, like trying to go fall line everywhere. And I'm sure I was making mistakes. I was missing my spots maybe, but I just kept it going down the hill. And I think in in downhill, a lot of times, that's the way you got to ski is looking for speed, looking down the hill. And if you're not in the right place on one turn, you can hopefully keep those skis going and make it up in the next few turns. And Beaver Creek is so technical. There's so many places where you want to be here. You want to be there, but if you don't hit those marks, it's okay. You can keep it rolling. You got to have that free mindset.
1: Yeah. Just keep hustling. I mean, it, it was, I had one section where I came in too tight, pinched off a, uh, you know, turn above Pizzerina there. I had to like whip the ski sideways and it wasn't like the way I wanted to enter, but it was just reactionary. And I had to kind of like gain this like, Distance to the right side. So before I could hook up on the the turn. And then it was like, okay, I gave up a little bit, something there. Now I got to really push more. And just you're always like AJ said, be really laser focused. And uh, I mean, I felt like I was like that anyways, but it maybe just makes you hustle a little more and, and put the hammer down a little harder when you make a mistake. But I think that's what Michaela did too. I mean, you see her like even when she's behind on first run, she is a gamer. She comes back. second run and just throws it down It kind of like I think there's just more like oh everything's got to come out I think one of the comments which always from her which I always like loved you know feeling myself was like knowing that you left everything on the hill you had nothing else left you know to throw you know put throw out there and those are the
0: most satisfying runs you can have uh, totally agree with all of that. And this is something that young racers can practice in training. You know, don't wait to race day to practice your mental fortitude. Training days, you know, you're going to make mistakes. That's a way to practice. That's the time to practice moving on. All right. We have two more things to do. I'm going to ask a question that I didn't even warn you about. Then we're going to make our predictions. So I want to ask each one of you, what is, if you had to pick one, what is the most critical Section to hit at Beaver Creek, and it can be all we could all agree. But I'm going to say, coming out of uh, Pizzerina Pump House, if you've done enough to to have the speed at Pump House, from Pump House down to Golden Eagle, not losing your speed, actually maintaining it and and staying close to the snow, and that section you can lose so much. That to me is is what I like to watch, and that's most important to me what about you guys most important thing that you think or what's the one thing that you love to watch about that course
2: um i think it's the super g start to pump house personally i think that that's where the race is won and lost i mean if you can get through the flats if, if you're if your tech did a good job with the wax and you don't you know you don't blow it up top then you have an opportunity to win and if you're there then i think super g start to pump house is where that race is won and
1: lost I'd say uh, below uh, pump house uh, into the uh, islands because you have a, there's so much distance there. You could trim off some good line and take speed from there. off screech out into the flats going to golden Eagle. And that's kind of like the last chance to really like take all your speed from there to the finish. Yeah. There's a few kind of like little quick pitches, but if you don't nail those uh, those two big turns on the islands going to screech out, then I think that's where, you know, the race is lost.
3: I, I agree with all you guys there below pump house, you know, AJ, you got to have coming into pump. house, got to have the speed. You got to maintain it below pump house, M- but no one's mentioned from golden Eagle to the finish. That's that's a section that just links up so well when you're skiing it. Right. If you can just fly golden Eagle pump out of the abyss, left footer off Harrier right footer into the compression over red tail guys who ski that well, you see them pull, you know, a couple tenths down there. And that could be the difference between the win and and not. So every section. So it's pretty big.
1: much like any ski race, like the wand to the finish line. That's the most important <laughs> yeah. section. Start, start to
0: the finish. Start to the, start the, of our, the new name of our podcast, wand to finish. Um, <laughs> I, if you look at, I, I've yeah. covered this race a long time. If it, Let's go to predictions. But if you look at the, if you really dial in and see the intermediate times, Foytz, who's been fast here. Foytz always is wins from Harrier down to the bottom. This is a guy we think he's out of shape, and you're tired there for sure, but Foytz crushes the bottom, that's why he's fast there. So, leading into my top three, I hope you guys have them ready. I'm going to go Foytz winning, Kreekmeyer second, because I know he likes this course. This was his first ever podium. And I'm putting RCS, American Downhiller. I'm back. RCS, as third Foyt's Creek RCS who wants next I'll take next
1: because I'm you're making me laugh right now and uh I'm not kidding you I had it written down three same guys on the podium all right but I'm flipping it oh and with the win to the uh third RCS for the win same dude for uh, second Creek and uh Foyt's for
0: third all right that is good way to mix it up who wants next I'm going next I got mine written down right here. Kilda. Yeah.
2: Yansrud RCS. Ooh. But what I want to say is, is if you look at those results from, from Lake Louise, 24 guys in the top two seconds, there's so much depth on the world cup downhill tour right now. So many guys can do it. All it takes is one little mistake for one guy to be out. And all it takes is one rabbit coming out of the hat for another guy to have a, a great run. But I've got Meyer, Ganon, Creek, Meyer, Foyt's all as my wild cards. So there you go. I want my thousand points next week, Louie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who else is left for me to pick,
2: but uh, <laughs> just gonna go. i just
3: going I saw uh, Matthias Stop Meyer it. up in Lake Louise it was so impressive. So Meyer for the win. Uh, I think Travis Ganong is going to relive his world champ's glory. He's pissed about last week. He's going to come out firing second place. And i can't go against dominic paris i love that guy so <laughs> that's three dominic. three new
0: people nice job way to pull it out of the hat all right everybody uh just, what they're going for right here look Here's at that what they're going for super cool super cool thanks d money for sharing that um darren has two downhill wins four podiums and part of that was a second in giant slum so awesome and as uh uh sully said he had a sixth place in the downhill so how to watch there are actually four races super g on thursday super g on friday downhills on the weekend saturday and sunday that's as far as the schedule hopefully will go not a lot of snow there so that's going to actually affect how they train uh how they warm up how are they going to warm up there's nothing to ski on that'll be interesting but you can watch it on mbc and peacock All right. Next up on the American Downhillers podcast, Hundys Matter, is Val Gardena. If Kitz is the most dangerous, Bormio the most challenging, then Gardena is the most fun, the most fun downhill on the circuit. The amount of times you are in the air, I think you're in the air 23 times, is just amazing. And this is a place... Get ready for these predictions. This is a place where the U.S. can go one, two, three, four, five. They've almost done it before. So Val Gardena coming up next. Thank you to Darren, AJ, and Sully. And if any of you watching and listening have a specific question for our next show, email us at info at americandownhiller.com. Info at americandownhiller.com. We'll just end that with the trophy from Birds of Prey with D-Money.